Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we have just an enormously fun treat. We have the largest group of guests that we have had on the podcast. And in a sense, we are celebrating two anniversaries. One is, since this podcast will go out in March, we started the Equosity podcast sometime in March. Neither Dominique nor I really have looked up and know when that occurred, but it doesn't really matter. And we don't even know how many years we've been doing it. I think three, but I'm not sure. I, think, I have no idea. Four, maybe. I have no oh, idea. Maybe four. But it's, it's been chugging along quite a long time. And the other anniversary that I'm celebrating is in March, it will be the one-year anniversary of the new online clinics. And so I've asked some of the regular attendees at the coaching sessions that are part of the online clinics to join us for a conversation. And I'm really looking forward to this because I think we're going to have a lot of interesting questions. And instead, Dominique, you and I might not think about asking one another. So this should be really interesting. And what pleases me also is we have people from around the planet. So we have people joining us from Europe, from the UK. We have people from across the United States. Canada, of course, as usual. Of course, yes, yes. So the globe is well represented in this group. We also have quite a range in terms of experience. And I was thinking about if you had a little chart, if you picture one of those little grids that you would fill in. So we have people who were, when they started, who were new to clicker training and fairly new to horses. We have people who were new to clicker training, but experienced with horses. We have people who were very experienced with horses, but who knew nothing about clicker training. We have people who were very experienced, not just with clicker training, but in particular my work, and who were also experienced horse people. And we have people who were familiar with clicker training from maybe dog training or from other equine clicker trainers, but were new to my work. So we have lots of different perspectives that come into this conversation. And I think that's really important because everyone brings a different set of questions and a different perspective based on the component skills that you brought into clicker training. So I think it's really going to be interesting and fun. And one of the things that I have always valued as I've been creating the books, creating the DVD lessons and so on, is how generously my clients have shared their horses and their horse experience. Because I think very often when you have someone who is in the thick of it, who's dealing with the horse that bites or who's dealing with you know, whatever the issue is, and who begins to sort it out and moves forward in their training, and they talk about what worked for them, that that is incredibly useful and inspiring for the next person who's where they just were struggling with a similar problem. So I'm not going to 
introduce each and every one of you individually. We'll sort of introduce you as you go along because I think it would just get confusing for people. So what instead I'm going to do is ask who would like to jump in first? There are any starting questions that you'd like to jump in with. Ah, so Connie Dwyer is going to be our first person who's bravely, boldly jumping in. And Connie, you're from New York State. We've known each other for a very long time that your clicker training experience goes back to the early Groton clinics that I did when I was really first exploring the clicker training. And I think the, the horse that you were starting out with is now 30 years old, 31 years old now. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you've got your hand raised. What, what do you want to start us out with? One of the things I've kind of worked on more lately, although, you know, I'm taking the online clinics and retaking everything from 20 some years ago, but I think a very interesting change to what I'm doing is really, really looking at the individual horse and what they're expressing, because it, it, I think in traditional horse training, it's so common to just shut down the you know physical behavior, right? So if they're in pain, they'll still keep working and, and they're lame, right? But you have right. to find a different way to, to see that. So a lot of what I'm doing now with happy faces, you know, I'm finding she has a lot of other physical signs that something's bothering her. And, you know, we know she went through the rearing, things are coming out, you know, like, as you always say, uh, peeling the onion back. So as I'm working through the clinics in the material, it's a whole different perspective for me now after all these years. And it's very helpful, you know, so hearing about what whatever person's issue, I think one of the things too, is working with a vet or somebody else to help <laughs> your horse be that happy, you know, partner so that yes. you can keep moving. You know, I, obviously I, I've stepped way back from riding, even though I could ride her, but for me that this stifle issue or that kind of conversation is really important to me now too. So, so I uh, should say so. that as, as people were gathering before we started the the formal part of the podcast, we were talking about stifles and horses with stifle issues. And I kept saying, we should save that for the podcast. We should save that for the podcast. So we basically saved that discussion for the podcast. But we have several people whose horses have injuries. And, and then also, Jennifer, this relates very much to the email that you sent me prior to, to today, where you had sent in some things that you wanted that you thought would be useful to discuss. And so Jennifer, you're from the Netherlands, and you have two minis. So in addition to the different experience level that people have, we have lots of different breeds and sizes and ages. So Connie's mare is a, a ranch horse that she's had for about a year. So she's had the kind of background that that entails. She's very much crossover horse. You have your two minis. And I think you were saying something very similar about as you were beginning to explore clicker training, that there's so much that is different in the clicker training that is not where our focus is, is directed in traditional training. We're seeing horses in different ways, learning to see that you can influence their balance 
in a way that sits outside of what is typically taught in normal training. So do you want to add, do you want to speak to that, Jennifer? Yes, well, when you are traditional, traditionally riding horses, you can look at other riders and, and your goal c- can be, for example, a dressage training or jumping. Or, but when you start clicker training and you are going to look at the horses in a different uh, way and you see their character and their difficulties or their the things they are scared of or their physical inabilities and the way you have to train them now with clicker training with the freedom of choice and, and all that <laughs> new new things suddenly you don't have a goal anymore because a traditional dressage training is not possible anymore so what <laughs> what goals can you work towards then okay so you could still work towards dressage goals, but I think we begin to see the physical issues that the horses have. Svenja, you've got your hand, your hand just popped up. So I'll let you talk rather than my rambling on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually thinking this is a good way of putting it. The, the goals change and you're not as outcome focused anymore. You are more so we always say the dressage is for the horse, not the other way around, but yeah. it actually becomes true, or at least in, in the last couple of years, it became quite true for me because it's about the process. So we're still doing exercises for the horses to improve their soundness, but they do not always look like the dressage movements that we originally knew, but it's also, it's not about reaching that dressage movement anymore. It's more about the process of going there and seeing the first steps that come out of the movement process, like watching where are the hips going? Is the horse already directing them in the right direction and not about the movement of the feet, for example. So it, it really, it's, it's not as goal oriented anymore. It's more about the process and working with the horse. So, so at first it may seem like there's, there is no goal anymore, but it's, it's just the, for me, it's just the perception that, that shifted more towards the being and, together and the process. And we could say that, that there is a goal. There very much is a goal, which is the relationship that we want. You know, we want that deep, deep relationship where we truly are our horse's best friend and that the means to the end, as it were, are all the gymnastic exercises that are part of dressage. So when we say dressage training should be for the good of the horse, that what we're saying is, and we found a way to make that statement true. Dominique, you've got your hand up, so. Yeah, I think one of the differences too with traditional training is that we allow the animal to say no. You were saying before, you know, we allow their behavior to influence our behavior. So I think... We've become better at listening to the nose. So there are the big nose, you know, the pawing and the rearing and the nose that we cannot ignore. But I think we've become better at seeing the smaller nose. And maybe it would be interesting to hear what people see, you know, as a nose, so that maybe for some people who are not yet there, not they're not as easily seeing those little no's that they can hear about how 
people perceive that their horse is either confused or hurting. You know, things like, I don't know, you're training, the rhythm, the rhythm is good, and all of a sudden, your horse looks away. That, that circles us back to Connie and where the statement that she made starting us out, because at first, Josie made the nose really big and obvious. She was rearing. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty obvious no. I yeah. mean, horses have always said no to us. They say no by rearing, bolting, spooking, bucking, kicking, all those things that, that we have to say, no, you can't do that. And so Josie's way of saying no was pretty obvious. But now she's much further along in the training. She knows you're listening to her so that she doesn't have to shout to say no. She can now say no in a quieter, safer, calmer way. So Connie, when she says no, what does a nice, polite no begin to look like? Well, it could just be her ears back. It could be a tail swish, you know, as, and like you mentioned before, it used to be out of nowhere, a rear, but I haven't seen that in a long time, but I see all these other little pieces or little behaviors, I guess that are, and it could be a look away too, Dominique, like you said, I mean, that's, that's a very polite way to say mm-hmm. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's, that's what I was talking about earlier for sure is really looking at all of those. And, you know, if I wanted to get into statistical type of stuff is counting them. Okay. How many of these did she show me? videoing a session and then I rethink what I'm doing and step way back try something different like the fetch toy experiment which had almost had no ears back at all in that whole session so you know it's really learning to communicate and our relationship gets better every day for sure so no, because I'm listening <laughs> we're, we're not just blowing past these these little behaviors you know we've for those of us who've been in horses for any length of time, we've probably heard, oh, she's just being a mare. Mm. You know, oh, she's, you know, and the horse is is pinning her ears, swishing her tail, biting at the air. She's not just being a mare. She's being a horse who is uncomfortable in some way. She may have ulcers. And that's why when you walk around to her right side or ask her to trot, she, she shows all of those behaviors. And Instead of just blowing them off as, oh, well, there's just something wrong in the horse and just push past it, we are really listening, looking for, doing the detective work. We're truly interested in how our horses feel. So Marcy, you've had your hand up for a bit, so so jump in. On the topic of the goals not being the same goals as before, I think the same way we microslice our instructions and we microslice our training, I think we microslice the goals also as part of this. So what does that, what does that meant for you? What does that look like? Instead of looking, well, the classic example would be trailer loading. Instead of looking at trailer loading, I look at, can you walk between two narrow things? Or, you know, it, it's just a smaller, it's, I'm thinking of the goals being the smaller steps and, and I'm still trying for the big one, but it's become less important as I move through the process. Ah, yeah, that's, that's important to hear. Because we do have, it's like riding. Most of us, many of us have horses because we want to ride. 
you could say that's a macro goal we want to ride. And then we may have, in terms of what does riding look like? What, do you, what would that perfect ride look like? And for many people starting out, they're, they're dreaming of competing and they see their horse sailing over a jump course or working in a dressage or vino or riding a reining pattern, whatever it is. But there's some form of formal performance work involved in that. And then they go out and they buy a horse who may have been perfectly fine when they bought it, but the horse has taken the proverbial bad step out in the field, or maybe there was a lot of punishment used in the training of that horse. And when you remove the suppression of the punishment, you suddenly discover who this horse really is and what their opinion of people really is. And it's not quite the project that you had in mind, but it is the project that's in your barn and you have to deal. And so your goal may still be, I want to ride my horse, but now it's not safe to ride my horse. So instead of getting on and trying to force myself through this and maybe getting hurt, I'm going to look at what are all the missing components? What do I need to teach my horse in order to make it safe to do the things that I want to do? At the very start of the clinics, I asked each of you, you know, what are your goals? What is the, your, your big dream? And if you were describing that perfect day with your horse, what would you be doing? And some of the responses that we got back were just beautiful beautiful to read. So I think it's really recognizing that there are different kinds of goals. And some of the goals, you know, some of the goals we simply have to put aside, because the horse that we love can't do it. You know, that you bought a horse wanting to jump, but something has happened. And there's a a bit of physical injury, and this horse cannot do that job. So do you get a different horse? That's always a possibility. Or do you say, okay, I'm going to change what I ask of you because I love you more than I love jumping. And that I think is where some of the change in the goals comes from because I think one of the things, at least for me, that clicker training is truly about is that we really are drawn into the relationship that we have with the individual. And we're not just going to say, oh, well, I, I love you, but you're yesterday's news. So I guess one of the questions that I have for some of you is, especially for those of you who were, either you were fairly new to the clicker training when you began the clinics, or you had horses you were struggling with at uh, the start of the clinic that where things are now beginning to sort out a little bit. What are some of the things that have really made a difference for you? What has helped you to be successful? So Taylor. Yeah, I actually think that the process of writing out all of these answers for the clinics has been so useful for me to sort of consciously process 
and very deliberately process what I'm doing with my training and why I'm doing it and where I'm trying to go with it, which has ultimately led me to the point of starting back from the beginning with the horse that I have. But that actually feels like a really exciting decision to come to. And I think I was also pushed in that direction after he went through a bout of Lyme disease that really pushed us back in how comfortable he was being handled. And so we're starting over again. But I'm really excited because I know so much more now than I did when I first met him a year and a half ago. So that's really exciting. So we're, we're probably going to circle back to that. But Luna has her hand up. So, so and, I, and I should say, Taylor, also in New York State, and you were, you've already been on the podcast because you did our, that great podcast interview on horses in, in performance in the what was 17th century. So that was, that was fascinating. And you volunteer a horse rescue and the horse that is your personal horse came through that rescue. So he's got a complicated history. And now Muna is going to jump in. And Muna, you're from the UK. And when you started out a year ago, you had Frank who was scaring you. So he was in the yes. uh, scary horse category. So talk yeah, to absolutely. us. Absolutely. I think, I think the group knows that I bought Frank as a youngster. Completely the wrong horse for me, really. But he found me and I found him. And I just couldn't handle I, him. I'm going to interrupt for just a second because your sound is coming in really choppy. Go ahead and, and talk and we, we'll salvage it in some way. Hmm. Okay. I bought Frank and he was very, very difficult as a youngster. And as a, a novice myself, I, I was really frightened of him. He he had a tendency to rear if, if he wanted to say no. And he said no about pretty much everything. With your foundation lessons, I am bringing him under control. He He's actually enjoying the lessons. He's actually enjoying being with me. The rearing seems to be stopping because he's got alternative behaviours. He's not bitten me for a long, long time. He used to bite all the time. He doesn't barge out of his stable. He, he will wait for me. He will lower his head and just wait patiently for me. He's just a completely different horse. And I so appreciate your sharing that because it's one thing for me to say, oh, yes, this worked. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's marvelous. It works. And, you know, first of all, of course, I'm going to say that. But also, maybe it works for me because I've got some, I don't know, weird way of looking at horses, but it might not work for other people. So when we hear that there you were, new to all of this clicker training with a difficult horse and you're working by yourself yes you're getting all the input from the clinics and you're participating in our coaching sessions but that's all done by zoom I have not gotten on an airplane flown over to the UK and worked directly with you and Frank you have made the difference you've changed Frank you and Frank have worked together and made these changes. And I think that is really to be celebrated, hugely to be celebrated. And it gives the next person who's at that early stage of this horse is scaring me. I don't know what to do. And I just feel all in a frazzle because his behavior is, is, is overwhelming. It's like the the beacon forward, the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really, I really appreciate and thank you 
for sharing that. I think too, Alex, because Muna, you were not a longtime horse person, were you? No, not at all. And and I and I was never experienced. I just used to sit on the horse and enjoy going what we call in the UK hacking out. I suppose that's your trail riding. Yeah. And we had two older horses who were so good but I now feel as though I, I gave a, I, I, I gave them an, a misju- an injustice by not training them properly not communicating with them and although Frank's been really difficult I, I've just found something to do with the horse rather than just sitting on on the horse and steering one yeah and, and I think normally a horse like that for someone who was not an experienced trainer, they would have sent him to someone who is an experienced trainer. So it's not just that you did it alone, but you did it without having years of experience behind your tie, we say in French. I don't know if that's a, an expression in English, but I think that's pretty amazing too. You know, that a novice trainer could do such delicate work with a frightening horse, I think, is pretty impressive. What's even more incredible, sorry, Alex, what's even more incredible is that it's done, like Alex says, it's done via Zoom. I don't need an instructor in my arena to show me because I get far more out of my lessons online with with listening to all the coaching sessions listening to the discussions watching the other participants with the horses I I learned so much more it's unbelievable you never put yourself at risk doing all this because you know you could be a really brave athletic kind of a girl who is always ready to jump into danger but I don't think this is who you are. You you were a little bit intimidated by him. And with the help of Alex, you were able to navigate all this feeling secure because, you know, of protected contact and because of the foundation lessons. Did you feel ever during the work that you were out of control, frightened? I'm sure the answer to that is yes, because there would have been scary moments. Yes, there were. Yeah. There have been. There have been scary moments, Dominique. I, I, I can't deny that. But what Alex has done, she's given me a structure, so I can, I can go into grown-ups. I can go into head lowering, and it's become an automatic reaction for him now, rather than rearing. So it, it's like Connie. Really, she said her horse was a rearer. That, that is what Frank was. He's, he, he will rear. Now, whether he'd be different with somebody else, I don't know, but we've kind of like got a rapport going on now, Frank and I. So it's enhanced our relationship. And we have to say he's a huge, huge horse too. He is. He is. He's he's an Irish draft horse and he is about 16 one hands and he's, he's massive. He's huge. Yes. And he's he, he looks quite intimidating because he's absolutely solid. And some of his behavior was coming from just exuberance. You know, oh, it's a cold fall day. Let me leap around as I race towards you, which is fine, except, you know, it's like, do please remember to stop. And some of it was coming from frustration, from confusion. And you put that all together and it can be, very intimidating. And one of the things that was, I think one of the things that made a big difference for you was just the idea of, of 
really learning how to set up the environment well. So you use protective contact and with the protective contact in place, you then taught him this repertoire of behaviors that he could use that were alternatives to the rearing. And because I'm a stickler for details in terms of handling. The, really? Uh, yeah, you haven't noticed. <laughs> I think that's also made a, made a huge difference for him because when you started paying attention to the detail of how you feed, so that you were feeding him where the perfect horse would be, so he was coming into physical balance, that for Frank, that made an enormous difference. And we have just a stunning set of before and after images that we pulled from the video of the before where he was on his forehand, looking like sort of the couch potato horse, but very out of balance. And then from a video that was just a couple of weeks later, where you're feeding him, so he's lifting up from the base of his neck, and he's looking in balance, he's standing over himself, he's looking like a horse you could ride, you know, that he's, he's lifted up through his back. And I think that was a big start of the change in him emotionally. What, what would your sense of that be? Yes, his emotions have changed tremendously. And that, that's what I've been working on really over the last 12 months. I, I can't progress with my, my goal of having him doing PF with me, dancing with me until his emotions are really stable. And he's in a completely different place than he was 12 months ago. He's got, he's still got a long, long way to go. But like I say, the 11th of March, I think, is a very, very important date for me, Alex, because that's the date that I joined your group. <laughs> yeah, so it, it has been just about a year. And, you know, if with calf as a goal, and that's a wonderful goal, you know, we do have these goals. And we don't have to set them aside. We don't have to push them away. We don't have to say, well, I'm a clicker trainer, so my goal is a nice relationship with my horse end of statement is I'm a clicker trainer. And because I have a great relationship with my horse, I can reach for the stars. And the, the work that I do, the training that I do, always has the welfare of my horse in mind. But the gymnastic exercises of classical dressage, and that includes piaf and passage, done well, are absolutely for the good of the horse. So Claire, you've had your hand up for quite a while, so jump in. Yeah, I, I'm gonna piggyback on something that you just said, which is I think that one of the big values is that reinforcing relationship that you build with the horses. So mine are out 24 seven and, and they live on my property. And when I walk, when they see me, when they see my car pull in, right? Like they run down to the gate and it's like, are you gonna come? Are you gonna come out? And, do something with us. And that kind of engagement, I find really reinforcing, right? It helps keep me engaged in the training because the horses have this attitude of, this is something we're really looking forward to. It's something we're really yes. excited about. We want to be out. You know, I, I joke that, you know, people have horses that they can't get to their arenas and I can't get mine to leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had to spend time like working on exiting because they just would go and turn around and go back into the arena. But I think bigger than that for me, I mean, that's a huge thing, but is the idea of the 20 treat strategy. So, you know, that, that it is okay. And maybe better for training sessions 
to be short. And so what that has allowed me to do is to train a little bit every single day, rather than feeling like I need this epically long period of time to accomplish all of these things. It's like, no, we're going to work on this little itty bitty thing and we're going to do 20 treats worth. And that's not a bad thing. Like, that's a good thing. Like I broke this into a smaller slice. I'm teaching my horse something useful right now, not just the little skill that we're working on, but that we can do this in little bits and it's okay to take breaks. And it's okay for me to work with another horse for a little while. And I will come back to you. We will do more later. And that has been huge because even though I was training with a lot of of positive reinforcement techniques before, I think I didn't feel like I had the permission to train in those little tiny units. And that's made a huge difference. That's an interesting one for me because in my background, I was a long session trainer. So, you know, I I have learned that you stay with a session, you stay with an idea until you have answered all the questions. And you can see it both ways. So you can see it that if you stay long enough where you have explained to the horse that this is safe, there are no goblins, and you keep answering the question, you see it's still, there are no goblins, it's still safe, and you stay long enough that you have answered every question that they're going to throw at you around that particular subject, and then it's over and done with, and that, that is one approach. Or you can take a tiny slice and a small session and do just a really little bit, and then leave it and do a little bit and leave it. And I think both approaches are valid and useful. That would be an interesting, one of those interesting things for you to explore. I didn't introduce you when you popped in that this this is Dr. Claire St. Peter, who's also been on our podcast. And so you're a behavior analyst. So I'm always tempted to say, oh, go, go give this to one of your graduate students, which is better, long or short. And I certainly know from my own personal experience, because you know, sometimes time is pressing and training sessions are very short. And it's amazing how much change you see occurring from really, really small sessions. And that's when Jennifer talks about some of the changes that occur when you are moving from the whatever, we'll call it traditional training background you bring into it, that would be one of the changes is that sessions can be really small. They can and it, have... might, it might depend on the horse and it might also depend on the behavior you're teaching. Maybe mm-hmm. on this behavior, it's better to do shorter and on something else, they might enjoy doing longer yeah. and, than you. And it certainly is the case that with an experienced clicker trained horse, you can fill your pockets and go in and spend however long you want because they enjoy the training. You enjoy the training. The training session can be very long, but particularly in the beginning, the training sessions are very short. We use the 20 treat strategy. You put 20 treats in your pocket. You do a training session. You may use only a fraction of those treats. You're working with protective contact and then you you stop, you walk away. Now you could come right back So that 20 treat session might be followed by another 20 treat session on the heels of it. Or you could say, well, that's all I'm doing today. And yeah, it's interesting. In 1968, Skinner published a book called Technology of Teaching. And when you said somebody should look at that long versus short, Skinner makes the recommendation in the 68 book that training sessions should be short. (laughs) 
So why somebody who knew that was still doing epically long training sessions is a wonderful question, but yet there I was. So, you know, I think this idea of, of making it so that you have the latitude. I have now more experienced quicker training horses and I can do epic sessions when I have the time, but it's also nice to know that that doesn't have to be the only way to do it, particularly when we get a new horse or we're teaching a new skill. Yes. We have a structure for creating short sessions. And even when you're going to have a longer training session, within that longer training session, because we have going to mats and we have grown-ups are talking and we have different skills and repertoire, the horse can go off and play fetch for a little bit. It's like kid going off and having recess. That we have a way of creating small sessions within larger sessions. So I may fill my pockets with treats and I may use up all of those treats before we leave the arena. But if I looked at how that training was structured overall, what I would see is there were lots of little mini sessions going on within that larger session. So Connie, you have your hand up again. I just wanted to add something, Claire, to your you know comment where your horses come running and come to the gate. So I have this video of Josie. She's trying to break in this new little gate I put in that goes from the turnout to the arena. So I've called that arena sweet instead of arena sour. You know, you hear that. So <laughs> that's funny. But it, it also reminds me of a story. And then we'll go to Amy. But the story that Came, years ago, I was giving a clinic in a barn that was set up. So the shed row was in an L and all the horses had a little sunroom in front of the main stall. So they could look out, they could, we could see all the horses. It was, it was a really nice setup. And the first day we worked the horses and these, a lot of the horses were new to clicker training. So we did basic targeting 101. And then the following day, we did another round of training. And there's one horse who we worked the, the first day and she did okay. She was being introduced to the targeting and she was fairly normal response of coming up, but curious about the target, got clicked and reinforced. And we did a little bit with her. And then the following day, her owner reported that she was really alarmed by her mayor's behavior. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? So I so what does that mean? She came up to the front of her stall. This horse was one of those shut down horses. And this person had only known shut down horses. And so when the horse showed interest in her, showed an eagerness to interact with her, she found that very scary. Hmm. And one of the reasons that I set up the beginning lessons that I set it up in the way that I do, where we start with protective contact, absolutely. And we start with these simple behaviors, targeting and grown-ups and backing and, you know, these, and head lowering, critical key behaviors is because I know horses are going to become enthusiastic. And I love enthusiastic horses. Claire, you're describing that's what that's what makes you smile. Connie, the same thing. You know, we we love our enthusiastic horses, but I don't want the thing that we love, which is enthusiasm, to be the thing that puts somebody off of clicker training. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach people 
what it's like to be around a horse who says, hi, you're here. I want to be with you. You know, and we take that so for granted because we're used to it. We love it. We know how to interact with these horses who get to express their personality and we are not intimidated by it. But this individual found it very intimidating. So she had to be eased into clicker training, not her horse. Her horse was, her horse was all in after that first day, but the handler had to be eased into, let me reintroduce you to horses. You know, the horses that you've known are different from the, the bright-eyed, sparkling, wants to be with you horses that you're going to encounter in clicker training. So Amy, you've, you've had your hand up for a while. I love everything that everybody has said so far. And I yeah. could sort of piggyback off of comments everyone has made. I've experienced all of that. And what's really made a huge difference for me is the structure of the course has helped sort of gather in and collect all of these important concepts. And I look at that as emotional balance, physical balance, mental balance. It's all just kind of coming together with this overlaying feeling or thinking about remembering to stay soft and be aware of what's happening and keeping the sessions shorter. An ability in my life to spend more time actually with the six different horses that I'm working with instead of really hyper-focusing on one problem with one horse. And that has just deepened my relationship in especially this last week, I, I came to realize this. I didn't expect that. I would have such a, a much deeper relationship with a few of my horses that sort of have flown under the radar. And the things I've discovered about them as I've been going along, what they could really use help with from me has been sort of startling and sometimes I feel really emotional thinking about it but other times I'm just like well of course this is how it happens <laughs> when you pay attention when you when you learn to observe and look and you aren't so agenda focused that it's okay I still can achieve that balance with my horse through the very simple things like feeding for balance and I know other people have mentioned the Zoom calls that we do for the coaching calls. The last call that we had was so significant for me. And this, the way that you set it up was just amazing. And I went and I was looking at the shoulders of all of my horses and how if I stand just like a little bit differently this way, does that help their balance to become a little bit more symmetrical? And, and how did they feel about that? And just asking them all these little questions all the time. If I, if I feed this way or that way, it, it's, it's just made a huge difference. And I love that when I walk into the barn, they're all talking to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it's just, it's fantastic. I can't wait for the remaining clinics that I haven't looked at yet. And it's just all really exciting. So what were some of the things that you said you were really startled? 
that you could help the horses with? What were some of those things? So a couple of my horses, well, I have one older mare in particular who initially didn't really want to take treats from me. And I was a little worried about her teeth. She would take, you know, a single pellet of alfalfa and just make a whole meal out of it. And she would pull faces at the horse in the next stall in between the repetitions that we were doing. And I wasn't really sure how to address this. We did some working with movement cycles and just where was I placing the click. And after the shoulder balance coaching call that we just did, I I got her out and I started doing some different kind of exercises with with her and just just trying to get her to balance a little bit differently through her shoulders and, and loosen in her pole and things like that. And suddenly she's taking huge handfuls of alfalfa pellets and just, you know, doing the version I think of as the horsey hug to me, kind of, you know, just really seeming affiliative and her whole expression and engaging and being in the game and the way she's moving when I watch her outside is so much more balanced. And then I just had the chiropractor in again a couple of days ago, and she'd made tremendous progress just in that very short time from this slight change that I made in my approach with her. And then another horse who's my second youngest one has some issues that I was always kind of told were confirmational, but now I'm just looking at that in a different way. It's, it's she's very cowhocked and she wears her outside heels quite differently. And I showed a picture of her to you once and you said, she looks like she has some back pain. And I thought, yeah, you know, I think she does have back pain. And I, I really started to think about this and now I'm starting to see, well, actually maybe I can help her balance a little bit better and develop her musculature in the back end. And this will help this problem significantly. It's not necessarily something that I can fix by myself without having a vet come in or helping her barrier wise with her feet. But there are now things I'm aware of that I could do to help her through the training and it's outside of the scope of a, a traditional mentality. And it, it really impressed upon me what Claire said about giving myself permission, because I think all of those ideas are, are in me. I just didn't feel like I could tap into that because even though I am a clicker trainer and a positive reinforcement trainer, I still found myself with the sort of tr- more traditional mindset from the horse yes. culture, which is you have to do things a certain way because it's a horse and it's not a dog. And and then I'm seeing these wonderful things like some of the videos of the horses that were balancing on mattresses or standing with their feet elevated on a platform. And those are all things that I know about from conditioning dogs for things like agility. And now I feel like I can give myself permission to have a non-traditional mindset about the things I can do with my horses to help their bodies in the way that they need to feel better, to be more balanced and not just physically more balanced, but emotionally balanced and mentally balanced as well. And, And in a way that's not forced, but feels soft and aware and mindful. And so what, what Claire said about giving permission, it's, it's through the shorter exercises, but also the 
the way that I can really target my training directly at something in a non-traditional way that will be very effective. And I love that. And who knew, who would have thought that you could so transform a horse, not just by feeding treats. I mean, come on, use food in training. You're going to ruin that horse if you use food (laughs) in training. But that how you feed, where you place the food in relation to the horse's body, how you're standing so that when you present the food, you're in good balance. So what the horse feels is a stable platform and he's not chasing after your hand as it gets pushed lower and lower to the ground. And then that whole feed where the perfect horse would be and you start paying attention to the horse's balance. And who knew that food delivery could be so transforming? It's just an, it's an astounding idea. And one where it, that's a, that means that's accessible to all of us. You, you don't have to know how to teach a horse to piaf to know how to feed a horse so that he's standing over his center of balance instead of falling on his nose. Really important detail. You know, it's funny, Alex, because this week I heard a conversation between two people. They were training a dog and I was at the barn. One of the two is starting to work a little bit with positive reinforcement. And the other one was saying, well, he's doing it for the food. You know, I haven't heard that in such a long time because I've been surrounded by people who are marveling at everything we can do with food reward. And I was hearing this comment, which in a way means I'm dismissing all this universe that you just described. I'm not going there because it's not legitimate training, right? And yet, once you open up to the idea that it's totally legitimate, not only is it legitimate, but wow, the things you can do with food, how much it can deepen your training, how much precision, everything you can do with food. We could spend hours and hours and hours, you know, and we have spent hours and hours on the topic of how we reward with food, how to do it well, what else can we do with it? And here I was hearing this little phrase, you know, saying, well, he's expecting the food. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're just, that's the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. You're just bribing him. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All of those things. I haven't heard, I hadn't heard that in such a long time, but it's still around there, of course. Yeah. And then the other thing that we can perhaps circle back on is the whole idea of confirmation. You know, well, that's just how the horse is. And it's, mm. and what I've seen is... Big label. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, but Svenja, you have your hand up. So, so let you jump in and then we may circle back to confirmation and and that. Yeah, and I there are like a hundred things I would like to say to to all of the things that have already <laughs> been said. It's it's really like I'm 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 jumping around listening to everyone, and I'm like, oh, I want to say something to that. So I'm going to settle on actually on the balance part and the small things and what you can do with food delivery. So here's a human story from today. I've got a four-year-old daughter, and we went where you can measure how you're standing on your feet. And there's a visualization on the computer that will show you where's the the balance 
point of your body. So like where's the center of your body okay. and you can make it move by, by moving on this mat that is lying on the ground. And then you can see how much pressure on which part of the foot there is and where your center of balance really is. And she could stand there and she was looking at the screen and she was instructed, you know, now you need to put that little red dot into the middle. And she was experimenting with her body in like, Actually, the people watching her were quite amazed because she's, you know, she's four years old. But that was a visualization that really helped her. And she was really experimenting. You could see her lean to one side, lean to the other side, kind of slouching down, standing upright again to get this point moving. And I think this is something we do a lot learning about the food delivery from you. It's about you you kind of have this this touch point with the horse's nose, but what you're really doing is you're trying to help them adjust their own feeling in their body to feel more balanced and stay more upright and there there are so many details and very very small weight shifts that you're causing that then result in this dressage work while standing around and then there are those traditional people looking at that and the only thing that is seen is that you're feeding the horse a lot of treats (laughs) well so from the outside when you're coming from the traditional training you don't see what's going on and you don't really understand what's going on and even if you're diving into the positive reinforcement part it's really really hard to to shift the perspective so so i remember it was really difficult for me to understand how can I get a horse to move without applying pressure? Like, how the hell do I make a horse move? How? how without raising my yeah. hand, without I, having a... When I don't have any, a whip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. Like, like, how? It was just not... It was just not possible for me to imagine. It, it took me several months to wrap my head around a lot of these things that are kind of upside down to the 20 years that I've trained horses before. And it's, and and here's, I I actually bring a, a question to the group now, because I'm wondering, are there other things that you can still remember from the beginnings of your clicker training that were similar, like where you really struggled to get to get that old image out of your heads that, that was so ingrained in it, it, it yeah is, is there something you can you can relate like anyone of, it, of the it, other that is an absolutely phenomenal question that is a great question and of course i'm going to make you wait until next time to hear the answers If you want to learn more about the online clinics, do please visit my website, theclickercenter.com. You'll find descriptions for all eight clinics, and you can register at any time. You don't have to wait for a class to begin. You can go through the clinics at your own pace, and you can join the coaching sessions at any point. As you've heard, these coaching sessions are just phenomenal gatherings, and And you'll get to meet many of the people that we've been listening to this week. And and I have to say, 
were really good at welcoming new people into the group. I want to thank again everyone who participated in this panel discussion. So thank you to Connie Dwyer, who got us off to such a great start. She was joined by Taylor Colbert, Dr. Claire St. Peter, Svenja Swinsky, Amy Stevenson, Munaklo, Jennifer Conan, Janet Devine, and Marcy Ingram. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Next time, we'll continue the conversation with this very intriguing question that Svenja has just posed. What are the puzzles that clicker training presents when you're brand new to the exploration of positive reinforcement training? So until next time, train well and have fun with your horses. <laughs>